friends, and welcome to the Read Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the glorious nerds at Read Pop. You may have heard of Read Pop, and that's the amazing group that brings you shows like New York Comic Con, C2E2, Emerald City Comic Con, and BookCon every single year. So we'll be going on a bit of a journey together, exploring behind the scenes of Dat Comic Con life. It'll be like a safari, but instead of animals, there will be herds of rampant fans. You'll hear stories from amazing fans who are, of course, the lifeblood of our shows, our quirky celebrity guests who fuel the fan fire, and of course, our crazy selves who love this community and industry so much that we work crazy hours, can't help but obsess over our work, and make magical experiences just for you guys. I'm your host, Stewie Hensinger. In our first act, we'll be hanging out with Ree Gupta and MK Goodwin. Ree is a marketing coordinator for Emerald City Comic Con, and MK is the event manager for Emerald City Comic Con. So we'll be putting their expertise on Doctor Who and Disney to the test. But there's a catch. Coming up next. Welcome to the podcast, Burrs, Ree, and MK. How are you guys doing today? Wonderful. Doing great. Great. So I was hoping you guys could just kind of like, you know, do a little intro. Give me your name. Give me like what you do at Read Pop. So I'm Ree. I, uh, I am the social media voice for Emerald City Comic Con. And I love it here. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I'm MK. I'm the event manager for Emerald City Comic Con, and I am our uh, resident Disney expert. Yes. Yeah. So important uh, information here. We've got Rhee and MK going head to head. Um, Rhee is a Doctor Who super fan, and MK is a Disney freak. And we're going to have Rhee, the Whovian, quiz MK on Doctor Who, and MK is going to be putting Rhee's Disney knowledge to the test. So, Ree, what makes you a super fan of Doctor Who? I really just, I accidentally sat down and watched it with my mom once, which I was a little worried about because I did that for True Blood and it didn't go over so well. I was like, I need to leave the room. But uh, for, for Doctor Who, it happened to be one of the like quintessential Doctor Who episodes, which is don't blink if you are a Whovian, you will understand why. But I sat down and I watched it and was totally sucked in. And it was on Netflix at the time, so I binge watched all of the, uh, all of what there was on Netflix, and I just I fell in love. It it sucked me in, and there was enough sci-fi and smartness to the entire universe, and it was really just a diverse universe. I was I was way in. Epic. And what about you, MK? Why are you a Disney super freak? Um, I would say I am definitely a huge Disney fan, especially of the animated movies, and it's mostly because I am a complete sucker for a happy ending. I want one every time, and typically when I go to Disney, I get it. So, Totally, totally agree with that sentiment. So now it's time for a little game we like to call Fansplain. In Fansplain, we will be taking two super fans of two different fandoms and having them quiz each other on that fandom. Only problem is... The questions will be about a fandom they know practically nothing about. All right, so Re, we're going to have you ask MK the questions about Doctor Who. And MK, you're going to have to do your best to try to fansplain it to Re as if you are a huge Whovian. All right, so Re, take it away. All right, you ready? No good can come from this, but go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, question one. 
How does the old doctor replace the new doctor? Okay, so this I know. Thankfully, I have um, a lot of proximity to a ton of great fandoms, and I do think I know this one in that the old doctor regenerates and becomes the new doctor, if I'm correct. Sounds good to me. That's about how you're I the, You're the Whovian. I mean, that's how I would explain it. <laughs> There's a little bit of supernova that goes on with it. It's very beautiful. Um, And then he's always upset that he's not ginger. (laughs) Okay. Um, What is the doctor's main goal? Oh, I would say, let's see. If I don't know, I'm going to appropriate from another fandom. So I'm going to say to bring peace and prosperity to the galaxy. (laughs) I mean, that's not, that's not bad i would say and i could be wrong here too dependent on who you're talking to but um my my doctor matt smith would always say he's here to help all right question three what is the doctor's relationship to his companion um they played football together in college (laughs) (laughs) what school did he go to see the only british school i know so oxford I would have also accepted Hogwarts <laughs> as an incorrect answer. <laughs> um, do, should I explain it to her? Or? Sure, if you want to. Okay. So, um, as you may know, the doctor has several companions. Um, his relationship differs slightly with every single companion, but I would say for the most part, the doctor is usually a teacher, and he always needs a sidekick to keep him in check. All right, question four. What are the weeping angels, and why are they so scary? Scary weeping angels. All right, so there's this girl named Angel, and I recommended some old-school Disney movies to her, Um, and one of them happened to be Old Yeller, and she did not come prepared. She wore way too much eye makeup, and it just (laughs) became a scary mess at the end. (laughs) okay that is that is my take on it that is such a good answer (laughs) i'm surprised you didn't go the buffy route oh oh god yeah missed opportunity all right yeah that's fine okay it's fine it's fine so there'll be other questions the weeping angels which happened to be the premise of the don't blink episode that i talked about before um they're statues that come to life and when like gargoyles Kind of, but when you're not looking at them, they move and they try to get you. And when they touch you, they end up sending you back to a time period that is not your own. Is one of them named Goliath? I don't think they have names. Okay, so I'm slightly less interested, but continue. Um, Well, I mean, if you saw one of the episodes where, like, you're going to Central Park and there are a bunch of angels on a fountain... And then they come to life and they try to get you. You're gonna be a little more scared of them. But in general, they're they're just bad news bears for the entire Doctor Who universe. All right. So number five, what is a Dalek and why are they so evil? So I know the Daleks are the bad guys in Doctor Who. Um, and if I were gonna say, I say, a lot of bad guys are just misunderstood. I mean, not specifically knowing what this is about. I'm going to say that, like, the head Dalek used to be the doctor's roommate. And one day the dog's like, yo, I just I just need some Doritos. So he goes and buys himself Doritos. <laughs> he puts them in the cabinet. Uh, he goes, takes a shower, 
comes out and the doctor has eaten all the Doritos, even though they were in his cabinet and they were clearly, clearly marked with his name, but the Doritos are still gone. And he never apologized and he's just, they've, they've never forgiven it. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you some points because the doctors do tend to like chips. Okay, great. Um, but it's the British form of chips, so. Oh. But I'll also give you points. Um, no, no Cheeto dust or any nacho cheese dust. Um, no. Fish fingers and custard is the other, which I have yet to try. I'm a little, I, I don't really know how to feel about fish fingers and custard. It but, sounds disgusting to me. Yeah, but it's it's one of those things that most Whovian fans will be like, yeah, I'll try it. And they're like, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this. Um, so a Dalek is, kind of looks like a rolling trash can a little bit with a plunger. Um, that shoots lasers out of it, but their their favorite go-to phrase is exterminate, and um, they are desperately trying to eliminate any being from the universe that is not as advanced as they are, and they also were in the great time war with all of the time lords, and the doctor is a time lord. They eliminated all of the rest of the time lords, and the doctor is the only one left, so... The Daleks and the and the Doctor have a pretty epic history, but the Doctor has seemed to outsmart all of them since the the Time War. All right, so now, MK, you're going to have to take your Disney knowledge to Re, and you're going to have to quiz her on all things Disney. So MK has some questions prepared for you. Are you ready, Re? I am as ready as I can be. Okay, um, so let's start with Moana. Um, in I saw Mo- that. Yes. Okay. So in Moana. Why does Moana want to cross the ocean with the heart of Tefiti? Um, because the island is angry and she needs to return the heart to the island. Yeah, well, we can we can award some points for that. Um, so Moana wants to cross the ocean with the heart. She wants to give it to Maui, as you know, and so he can restore the heart of Tefiti and kind of bring life back to her island. Uh, Tefiti is a life-giving goddess in Moana, and um, when her heart is stolen by Maui, she turns into... Oh, gosh, this is a spoiler. Spoiler! If you haven't seen it, turn turn it down, okay? Are we good? Okay, so she turns into a Taka, um, which is a very destructive force um, that's uh, represented in angry fire and lava, so... Uh, Restoring the heart makes everything fun and happy and living again. Okay, next question. Um, in Beauty and the Beast, how did the beast become a beast? Oh, he <laughs> stole a bunch of books from Belle's library and Gaston found out. And Gaston was like, yo, um, that wasn't cool. She loves to read and you stole her favorite book. So he got Captain Hook to cast a spell on the beast and be like, hey, you're going to be best friends with my friend TikTok, and now you're beast. The end. <laughs> hey, we're bringing the crossover city. <laughs> this is good. This is good. Uh, I think Gaston might be happy if someone stole Belle's books because, you know, uh, woman reading that leads to I should have gone with Belle's dad. Women thinking is just, uh, it's right? So oh, yeah. <laughs> so, no, yeah. Um, so the beast became a beast because uh, basically a spell was put on him. So one winter's night, an old beggar woman actually came to the to the prince's castle, and uh, she she offered him a single rose in return from shelter from the bitter cold. Um, but the prince was repulsed by her haggard appearance, and he sneered at the gift and turned the old woman away. But she warned him not to be deceived by appearances, for beauty is found within. And he dismissed her again, and her ugliness melted away to reveal a beautiful enchantress. And uh, she turned the prince into a beast as a punishment and placed a spell on the castle and all who lived there. 
feel that like was like a spot on reenactment of <laughs> there the narration. There are some mistakes in there. That's how I remember from it, Beauty and the Beast. Well, let's face it. I had a little refresher too with the Emma Watson version that just came out. So. Yeah, it was a little different, but it was still very, very good. I feel like you've got to be like really, really skeptical of old women in Disney. Yeah, you got you got to be careful. Well, they're, they're never get, what they are. Except for Moana, the old woman in Moana was kind of awesome. The grandma was True. pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah our, uh, Disney has received some criticism for always villainizing the older character, so then like the distrust of authority comes in. But yeah, fun fact: just be aware of anyone bearing apples, roses. You know, you just you never know. Red things. Mm-hmm. If it's if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah. <laughs> Puppies and white fans, no, no. Mm. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's let's keep on this uh, princess vein right here. How about Entangled? Why does Rapunzel's guardian keep her locked up in the tower and away from uh, everyone else? Hmm. I have not seen Tangled, but I know <laughs> the Rapunzel tale, but I don't even know why she's in the tower for that one. So let's see. Um, her father was upset because she didn't brush her hair. And she always looked like a tangled mess. And he's like, I can't present you to any fine suitors looking so haggard as this. So he put her up in the tower and said, until you learn your lesson on how to brush your hair, you are not allowed to come down. Mm -hmm. Apparently she was up there for a while, so maybe she never did, right? (laughs) Um, So actually, Rapunzel, um, again, spoilers, people, if you have not seen Tangled, you're going to want to turn this down. Uh, So Rapunzel's guardian is named Mother Gothel, and she actually keeps Rapunzel locked away because... Rapunzel's hair has magical properties, and uh, Gothel is obsessed with youth and beauty. So Rapunzel's hair has magical properties, and Gothel is obsessed with youth and beauty. And um, she actually has to use Rapunzel's hair on a normal basis to keep herself young, and she wants to keep that power all to herself. Wow. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. So she keeps this poor girl locked in the tower. It's pretty dark. Yeah, it is pretty dark when you look at it. Ugh. Um, all right, so moving on to the next question. Um, in The Little Mermaid, why does Ariel want to have legs? She wants to go where the people are. And to directly quote the song, yes, she does. She wants to be where the people are. But why? She, oh. she wants to see... See them dancing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And walking along on those, what, what are they called again? Somebody help me out here. Feet. <laughs> That is true. Yeah, Ariel definitely has a fascination with human culture and human artifacts. She loves searching shipwrecks. But then the ultimate, uh, the ultimate thing that kind of just kind of kicked it over for her was that she saw Prince Eric, and it was love at first sight. Um, and she wanted to specifically, she wanted to be where the people are, but she specifically wanted to be where Eric was, which was um, up where they walk and run and stay all day in the sun. I mean, we've all done stupid things for a guy. <laughs> Giving up your mermaid thing yeah. is a pretty stupid thing. And, and, and your vo- voice. Yeah, and your voice. <laughs> and your voice, yeah. Yeah, I just, I really think that she should have just written on a paper. She's like, I've been cursed. If you could just kiss me, um, we, you know, we'd be all set. But then it wouldn't be as exciting. So she didn't have any octopus ink to write with, though. Yeah. But we know she can write. She did sign that contract to, <laughs> during the movie, so. Um, all right, so uh, let's move. Let's let's move away from the princesses. There's a lot of other good movies. How about we talk about Lilo and Stitch? Why do you think Stitch was so bad? Oh, um, why was Stitch so bad? Because he wasn't um, a proper dog, and he felt like since he was adopted as a dog, he should have acted like a dog, and that's he wanted a tuna sandwich from uh, Lilo. 
So Stitch, uh, originally Stitch's, Stitch's actual name is Experiment 626. He's a creation of um, a, a basically a mad scientist, and he is created for not so, so great purposes. He's created to be a destructive force, so he's actually programmed, in essence, to be bad. Um, and when he gets down to Earth, he actually learns to, to be good from Lilo when she teaches him the concept of Ohana and that it means family. Um, so it's, it's quite heartwarming. <laughs> Ohana means family, tuna fish sandwiches, and Elvis playing out of your mouth magically. Um, so thank you guys so much for being on the podcast. I hope you had a very fun time. I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Do you guys feel like you're experts in the other fandom now? Complete and utter expert. I know everything. Perfect. I just want some Doritos. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where can the podcast community find you on Twitter if they want to pick your brains about these fandoms or send you adorable pictures of animals or anything like that? Well, I am bakery. Um, I spend a lot of my spare time mm-hmm. baking, so I had a blog, Bake RHI. Um, <clears throat> I specifically want pictures of Doritos, so. Um, so I am actually requesting cute animal pictures because that's those are definitely my faves. Animated and real pictures are completely fine, um, and you can find me at Twitter at uh, MCAT Loves You. Well, thank you guys again, and we'll see you next time on the podcast. Bye. Bye. In our second act, we'll sit down with Brian Stevenson, ReadPop's global brand director. Brian has worked at ReadPop for eight and a half years and is as much of a design geek as he is a regular geek. We'll be talking to him about working on such shows as C2E2 and Star Wars Celebration, as well as getting to know the nerd behind the know-how. Plus, we'll be giving away an official Game of Thrones box from ReadPop Supply Co. at the end of the podcast, so stay tuned for details on how you can win. Coming up next. So welcome to the podcast studio, Brian. Howdy, how you doing? Great, how are you? I'm fantastic. The podcast community is here to hear your great wisdom and all, right. all the things you have to say. Um, so let's start off hearing your ReadPop backstory. My backstory. Well, I had worked um, really in sports and events and grassroots marketing for many years um, at companies like Airwalk and Pepsi and Sobe. And um, the fine folks at Read Exhibitions found me because they, on my LinkedIn profile, I said I was a fan of comic books and I had an event background. So. That's whenever we started talking. I met Lance. He kind of shared uh, a vision for what he wanted to build, and I really believed in it. And I came over, and we set about creating this uh, this fun little uh, brand that is Read Pop that has just grown and grown and grown. So it's it's been a an incredible ride. That's cool. So this this vision for the brand and the culture and the community, what, what really is that? What is it now? And then where do you hope it's going to go? Well, I think, you know, what we've always wanted to be was just to be a brand that fans could believe in um, and to build experiences and create lifelong memories for fans. And that's what it's really been from the beginning. And we wanted to make Read Pop something 
that would resonate within pop culture on a global level. So we wanted to build a brand that could be much bigger than than an individual show and something that fans know whenever they see the Readpop brand that it's a quality experience and that they're going to experience some things there that they can't experience anywhere else. And so that's what we've really set about creating. And as soon as we built the Readpop brand in our manifesto and you know put fans first and everything else that that we kind of use as our guiding principles, it really took off and it's just grown. Like we just celebrated um, this past weekend launching a new event in Seoul, Korea, which was huge. Seoul Comic Con, it was amazing. So like we just see, you know, it building and building and building and becoming much bigger. You know, we're already now the largest pop culture creator, um, event creator in the world. So how many read pop shows are we at now? Well, we're over 30, um, you know, all over the world now. We've got multiple shows in India, multiple shows in Australia, multiple shows in the U.S., and it just continues to grow. So it's it's an amazing thing to be a part of and to see it, you know, just go from this little idea that we sketched out, you know, in a Word document and with this logo. And now it's, a, you know, huge global brand, which is really, really amazing to be a part of. For sure. Um, so what was your very first read pop show like? Was it as crazy and hectic as it should be? Yeah, like whenever whenever I joined, um, one of the main things that I was supposed to do was help launch the very first C2E2. So that was really an exciting thing to be able to put something new into the world as something that I would get to work on as soon as I started here, which is really cool. But um, For those who don't know, C2E2 is an acronym for the Chicago Comic and Entertainment Expo. So all yep. of you fans listening should obviously know that but in case you don't yep right in downtown chicago it's my favorite it's still my favorite show i think it's my personal favorite too but it's actually the show that i work directly on so (laughs) you're a little biased i'm a little biased that's fine but my first read pop actual show that i attended was the new york anime festival and so i was i was aware of anime but you know i'd never experienced an actual anime convention before so i was just kind of taking it all in i was pretty blown away by the whole experience it was really really cool it learned a lot and um, definitely helped guide some of you know my thinking on shows whenever we launch c2e2 and and things we could do at new york and some other things in the future very cool. So obviously New York is coming up this October. Um, do you have any tips for first-time fans going to New York Comic Con for the first time? Absolutely. I think um, fans just need to understand the show is just massive. And there's so much content. There's so much to see. There's so much to do that you kind of have to prioritize. Like if there's a panel you really want to see or you know, if there's an Artist Alley commission that you really want to get, make that your priority and then have kind of your top list of goals for things you want to experience and then other things that you want to do while you're there. Um, but you got to have your kind of priority straight for what you want to go after, what you want to experience because there's just so much to see and do. And like for me, what I think is cool is make time to just walk around the show. Like, you know, go go on the show floor, go explore New York City, you know, get your crew together and, and just have geeky good times throughout the city because there's so much going on and there's so many places that you can go and experience cool things that are pop culture related or whatever you might want to geek, geek out about. There's things happening everywhere that week of New York Comic Con. So I think like putting your checklist to schedule, you know, checklist and schedule together is really key to having a good experience. Yeah, I know the real goal is to just kind of take over New York City with yeah. the awesome experience. So it's it's unbelievable. It's an unbelievable show. 
Totally. And it's bigger than the Super Bowl. It's bigger than, you know, it's one of the biggest events in the world. So That's it's, incredible. It's amazing that so many fans come together, you know, 200,000, whatever, almost fans come together in New York City just to celebrate pop culture. It's an amazing thing to be a part of. Do you have any awesome stories about any cool fan experiences you have seen firsthand or any stories you've heard? Just anything really particularly epic that's happened at a Reed Pop show. Oh, my God. There's there's so many. Like, after, you know, eight years of, of working here, there's so many cool different types of experiences and things that I've seen and done. It's, it's tough to pick a couple, um, but some things that jump to mind immediately, like... I saw multiple engagements take place at C2E2. And, you know, it's like this one kid, I remember, I was like, wow, you really want to propose here in the Q hall at C2E2. Like, try to save it for, you know, maybe the stage or, you know, a cool backdrop or something for a great photo op. But no, he wanted to do it right then in the Q hall, right as we're about to bring, you know, thousands of people in. And it was just such a cool moment to be able to see and share that experience that they felt strongly enough about their fandom and, and about the show that they just felt like they wanted to get engaged right there on the spot in the queue hall at C2E2, which was really cool to see. That's cool. So they, so yes, they, she said yes. She said yes. Yeah. There was a big <laughs> uproar, a big round of applause. Like it was, she started crying. It was, it was really cool. And that was one, I think that year we had like four or five that took place throughout the show. And it's like, wow, you know, that's really such a powerful thing that, you know, fans feel that connected to a show like C2E2 that they're going to get engaged there. Or another cool experience was uh, a guy that, and I forget his name, and it, I'll remember it later, I'm sure, but he wanted to get the tattoo of the C2E2 logo. Permanent, you know? And it was just like, oh, my God, like, because I worked on that logo and that brand. And so it was like, wow, you know, like, why are you doing this? What, like, what, what's the incentive here? And he's like, well, it's... For me, it's the best weekend of the year. It's the weekend that I get to express myself. I get to be with all my friends and celebrate everything that I'm into. And, like, I just love this show, so I'm going to get your logo tattooed on me. And it was just like, wow. That you know? is such awesome commitment. It totally is. And it's, you know, there's so many stories like that, and there's so many fans that just, you know, share such a love for for these experiences and these shows that, you know, to be willing to get that inked on your body for life is just like, oh, dude, you're my hero. Like, thank you so much. Like, that's huge. You know, here, you're free tickets for life. All good. They're like, you know. Seriously, it's... you get a tattoo of the show, you should get free tickets <laughs> right? for life. Right? It's just amazing. That kind of stuff is, like, always the coolest thing. And, like, there's always cool other experiences. Like, the one for me personally that really did it was this past year at Star Wars Celebration, the, you know, the the huge 40th anniversary panel um, oh, yeah. was just that panel. And I knew what was going to happen and I knew what was coming and I still wasn't like emotionally prepared, you know, for yeah, so... the Carrie Fisher tribute and John Williams and like all of my heroes on stage. Like I still try to talk about it. I get choked up because it was such a powerful experience as a fan, but then also seeing everybody else in that room, like just so blown away and emotional and, you know, tearing up by what they were seeing and experiencing. Like that is definitely a high point. So um, you're a big Star Wars fan. I am a huge Star Wars fan. And 
part of uh, what I hear makes that experience that celebration so cool is that, you know, the fans who were in the room for the 40th didn't really know what to expect. Were, were there surprises that people didn't know about? or? Yeah, I, there was lots of surprises. So specifically, like people coming out on stage that weren't announced, you know, Harrison Ford, having uh, George Lucas there to talk through everything. But then, you know, coming at the end, whenever um, they did the Carrie Fisher tribute and then the curtain gets pulled back and there's an entire symphony orchestra with John Williams there, uh, you know, playing all of the themes that you would want to hear. And it was just to hear an orchestra in person that close. And, you know, it was just something... I will never forget, and I know anybody that was in the room that was there will never forget that entire panel, but it was just full of surprises from guests and yeah. video cameos, and just the the whole thing was just something that I know I'll never see again, I don't think. so. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to be in the room, too, and you, can, you can't really fake that sound that fans make when yeah. they are surprised. They were all screaming and throwing up their lightsabers into the air, and it's just, that sound is just, it's infectious. Totally. Um, so as a huge Star Wars fan who gets to work on a show like Celebration, I can't imagine that it can be, you know, overwhelming and, and make you kind of like flail, like, oh my gosh, I'm working on the Star Wars show. So are there any other great Star Wars, uh, kind of fanboy moments that you've experienced? Oh, wow. There, there's so many kind of, you know, over the years, cause I've, I've worked on the Star Wars show since the, the first one that Reed Pop started doing at Celebration 5. In some capacity, you know, whether it was like the first time I met Gary Fisher backstage was always like a huge highlight. I always looked forward to seeing him, you know, Carrie and Gary walking around behind the scenes, like super personable, always, you know, happy to talk to you for a couple minutes. And, you know, just it's such a it's like a family like with Star Wars, like and it's not just the fans or you know, the event organizers that, you know, what we're doing or Lucasfilm, like, it's just like everybody is there for the same reason. It's a shared purpose to celebrate everything that relates to Star Wars. So it's really tight knit and so passionate, you know, and so many cool things. Like there's, I mean, there's a million different experiences from different guests, um, whether it's voice actors or the actors themselves coming into the celebration store and checking out all the exclusives. Like there's a really, a couple really good stories about George Lucas um, coming through the store. Um, he got a nice chuckle out of one of the Jar Jar Binks whoopee cushions that we had. Like, you know, he he was as much of a, a fan of everything as we were, you know. So you have these cool interactions. But I think for me, the highlight was definitely I got to shake George Lucas's hand Um and just as a fan, the first movie I ever saw in a movie theater was Star Wars in 1977. I was four years old, and I will remember it for the rest of my life, not only seeing the movie, but then getting to shake George's hand and just say, thank you, Mr. Lucas. And that was about all I could think to say. I'm sure he's heard it a million times, but, you know, for me, that, that was definitely a cool high point, for sure. That's incredible. Um, so do you have any other... Uh, fandoms that you're really into besides Star Wars? Anything else you really oh, yeah. geek out over? Tons of stuff. Like, and the way that I kind of think about like geeking out about stuff is just anything you're passionate about. It doesn't have to be like pop culture or anything else, you know. But I, I'm definitely a huge Star Wars fan. I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan. Um, Captain America, like pretty much read all the Cap comics and have for a really long time. Um, Daredevil as well. Uh, 
but Game of Thrones, um, super into Game of Thrones, as I think like a majority of people these days seem to be. Um, but I also collect vintage skateboards and stuff because I grew up as a skateboarder. So I totally geek out about meeting some of my heroes that are pro skateboarders whenever I was a kid. Um, so that's a whole nother level of fandom that's just for something else other than like what we traditionally think of as like kind of the comic book video game world you know there's lots of different things like yeah so, so people would show up to your house and you wouldn't have a wall of action figures you'd have a wall of skateboards yeah I've got both actually <laughs> I've got tons of Star Wars action figures dating back to the ones I kept as a kid in my Darth Vader carrying case the whole way up to you know skateboards from the 80s with Powell Peralta and you know, Vision and the Gons and all these great skateboarders that, you know, I've been lucky enough to get to know some of them, but I still am buying skateboards all the time, even though my wife is like, please don't buy us any more skateboards. We have nowhere to put them. Um, Why couldn't you be into bottle caps? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Small things. Um, but yeah, skateboards um, take up a significant portion of my garage. And, you know, a lot of them are on the walls in my house. And, you know, just I treat them as pieces of artwork. And it's always cool when everything's crossover like I know there's a company called Alma Skateboards a couple years ago that did a whole selection of DC superheroes in the Justice League on their skateboards and like they were I, I immediately bought all of them so you know they were in my office here at Reed Pop for a while now they're at home um, but stuff like that whenever you see these kind of worlds crossover with like your traditional kind of geek pop culture stuff with skateboarding or snowboarding or some of this other stuff is always super cool and yeah. they immediately get all my monies. Oh, yeah. And that's that's one of the cool things about us being able to work with these franchises and these these licensees. Um, so our official store, which is Read Pop Supply Co. Yep. Um, so we just released the Game of Thrones box. Yep. The official Game of Thrones box. With now, George R. R. Martin. Yep. So now what is inside this box? Well, there's a ton of stuff. Um, there's some there's a special edition box which has a couple items in it. Then there's the limited edition box, which one of the big pieces as a draw for that box is there's a hand-signed and numbered George R. R. Martin uh, went through and signed all of these uh, lithographs of Westeros, which is just amazing. And there's a whole set of minted coins um, from the Iron Islands and everything else that are in there, along with a bunch of other stuff. But you can see all the details on repopsupplyco.com. Very cool. Um, so if you are a popcaster who has been listening up until this point, you may have heard that uh, we're going to be giving away an official Game of Thrones box. So in order to enter to win, we're going to ask that you tweet your favorite Game of Thrones character to at ReadPopSupplyCo. And when you do that, you will be automatically entered to win uh, a box. We will be selecting an entry at random. So if you would like to win this incredible officially licensed Game of Thrones box from Read Pop Supply Co., please go ahead and head to Twitter and enter yourself to win. So uh, thank you so much for joining the podcast world and Love talking it. to us, Brian. Really appreciate it. So if fans want to you talk to you about Star Wars or Porgs or anything. The Loch Ness Monster, the Bigfoot, Loch, yeah. Ghosts, whatever, <laughs> whatever, skateboarding, you know, any and all of it. I love to talk to fans online. Cool. Yep. So how would they find you on Twitter? So I'm at, it's at Brian Stees, that's B-R-I-A-N-S-T-E-E-Z, um, on Twitter. Hit me up. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Brian. Thank you. Thanks for joining us here for the Read Podcast your behind-the-scenes look at Dat Comic-Con life. The Read Popcast is a collective effort by the entire Read Pop family and is hosted by me, the fluffy Stewie Hunsinger. 
Three Podcast is produced and edited by the giant evil brain, Brian Jacks. To find out more about Read Pop, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. See you later, Popcasters.